When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to the Everything Is Black and White podcast live on Facebook, YouTube and Twitter and later on our podcast channel. It's time for the view from the opposition. Newcastle, of course, welcome Liverpool to St. James Park on Saturday day evening. And to get the insight into Jurgen Klopp's men, I'm joined by James Martin from the Liverpool Echo and Blood Red podcast. James, how are we doing? Thank you very much for popping onto the pod. Yeah, not at all. Feeling my, my background's a little underprepared. Feel like I should go and grab some Liverpool shirts to, to hang up. But no, other than that, all good. Looking forward to the game. Yes, it's, I'm happy James has mentioned that. We've got the green screen. We've got the big banner for those listening later on the podcast. It's looking visually very, very pleasing. Um, I've been having fun with the green screen all morning, trying to get a prep. But we've got half a Newcastle United badge there, so it's looking, it's looking all right. Um, a big game tomorrow, James, in terms of the chase for the top four. And I think if you'd said to any Newcastle United fan at the start of the season that they'd be nine points ahead of Liverpool at this point in the season, they wouldn't have believed you. My first question to you is, what has gone wrong in Liverpool's season uh, for that to happen? I know Newcastle fans will say Newcastle have been brilliant. That's a big element to why they're so far ahead. But you would have expected Liverpool to be above them, perhaps, or at least um, on, on level footing. Yeah, I don't think too many Liverpool fans would have believed you if you'd said the same thing at the start of the season, to be fair. I mean, no disrespect to Newcastle, but I think the progress that you, your team has made has been has caught everyone by surprise, really, in terms of the speed of it. Well, I think everyone expected it to be coming, but maybe not, not this soon. Um, but in terms of the Liverpool camp, obviously that's, that's the significant reason for the gap. As good as Newcastle have been, Liverpool have, have been have been poor. Um, it's it's been a, a myriad of issues. Really, it's, it's really hard to know where where to start. It's um, you know, there's a bit more optimism after the derby. It looked a, a little bit like the Liverpool of old, if you will. You know, coupled with a couple of a couple of new players starting to to really make their mark. Darwin Nunez looked good against Stefan Bicetic coming through. He, he's looked excellent in the last few games, but. Yeah, if we take the season as a whole, it's just been, I mean, the ageing midfield is a thing that has been highlighted a lot. You look at the likes of Jordan Henderson, obviously James Milner, the extreme example, even Fabinho, who's not that old. I think I think he's turned 29, but it, it's just the sheer number of minutes he's accumulated. Some of that you could look at last season, that applies to the whole squad. Obviously, Liverpool played record numbers of games as they came so close to the quadruple and, and that took its toll physically. And of course, mentally as well, you know, it's it's hard not to sound like it's excuses. And to be fair, by this point in the season, it really shouldn't be still in the systems. Jamie Carragher made a similar point the other day. You know, maybe you could use that as a reason for the first couple of months. But 
but maybe not so much anymore. So yeah, you, you look at more the physical side and just the burnout that's happened combined with the kind of squad all aging together. Then there's, I've mentioned the new players as a positive, but you have to look at, you know, the integration of those players as well. That takes time. It, it is the sort of kind of rebuilding period, if you like. No one would have signed up for that at the start of the season. They wouldn't have accepted a rebuilding year, but that does seem to be the reality of it. And and like you say, it's, it's all about the top four now, but that looks to be the the absolute summit of Liverpool's ambitions this season. Yeah, 100%. I mean, in terms of Liverpool and the top four, do they have to win against Newcastle on Saturday to stand a real chance of, of, of qualifying for the Champions League next season? I think they have to win to stand any chance of, of nicking Newcastle's spot in the top four. You know, maybe maybe if, if it's a draw and some of the other sort of contenders drop points, there could still be an outside shot at sort of ousting one of them. But but yeah, I mean, any game against top four rivals now is just massive because the swing involved, Liverpool needs it to go in their favour. If it doesn't, it looks insurmountable. So yeah, I, I think it, it's as close to a must win as you can get with so many games left of the season, really. You mentioned there the win over Everton uh, earlier in the week. I mean, against an Everton side who, yes, it beaten Arsenal, but we all know the troubles that Sean Dyche is going to have to, to sort out if Everton are going to you know, survive the, the drop. Um, is it a case that you know Liverpool played really well, or was it a case that they were also facing a pretty poor opposition? I think it's both, and I think what really stood out from the game is, is how much there's been fine margins at work this season. I mean, it's the case every year, but you look at how Liverpool took the lead, where you know, Everton had been awarded the corner 18 seconds before they'd hit the post 12 seconds before it was the fastest ever goal in the Premier League from one team hitting the woodwork to the other team going up and scoring. So, you know, if that had gone in, it could have been yet another game like Liverpool fans have seen far too many of this season where they concede first and then they struggle. So, yeah, it, it could all have been a very, very different narrative. But having taken the lead, Liverpool did look a lot closer to the Liverpool of old. They look very strong. So, yeah, I mean, it's always the case that the first goal is important, isn't it? But I think particularly with how fragile this Liverpool team is at the moment, it, it's taken on even more significance. Um, and, you know, I suppose you can look at Newcastle as well. They've been involved in a lot of very, very tight games recently, lots of draws. So lots of low scoring wins when you have one. So it, it's one of them where, yeah, whoever scores first, if indeed there is a goal, it, it's going to be crucial, I think. Mo Salah got one of those goals on Monday. It's eight goals for the season. By his standards, that's a poor, a poor return. I mean, how, uh, how his his form this season? How much has that impacted where Liverpool find themselves currently in the league table? Do you think it's a factor? It's definitely a factor, but um, I don't think it's the sort of root cause. I think if the team was performing better, we'd be seeing you know, more more like the returns we've we've become accustomed to from Salah. I suppose it's disappointing that he hasn't been able to kind of drag the team through a little bit more. Once we gave him that massive contract, you would sort of hoping that he is the player who can kind of deliver those returns. And obviously he has been that player for, for so much of his Liverpool career. And, and he could be that player again. I don't think he's necessarily in that category of players who is, you know, firmly past their peak. I think he's just more been dragged down by the the standards of the team as a whole but yeah of course if he was at his scintillating best he, he could sort of get Liverpool out of this hole at least temporarily on his own he, he's not done that enough but he has still been good um not you know not the levels we've we've become accustomed to but 
yeah, he's not my biggest worry, put it that way. What is your biggest worry on Saturday then? Maybe set pieces. I'm, I'm not sure. It's um, counter-attacks. Those are the Liverpool's two biggest vulnerabilities at the moment. Whether whether those are particular strength of Newcastle, I mean, I'll, I'll put that to you in a second. But, you know, that those are the areas where, where Liverpool have been massively undone. Those, those kind of transitions in the game where just it looks like there's 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 no midfield there at all, really. I mean, Liverpool have made a couple of tweaks in the last few weeks and maybe look a bit more solid. That's why, that's why I flag set pieces in the sense that you know, even if they can tighten up a bit from open play, that that's the sort of moment that can that can undo them. And then once once they're behind, that they struggle to to pull that back. So I'd highlight them as worries going into any Liverpool fixture at the moment. So um, I think Callum Wilson is is due to be back, isn't he? So his, his sort of pace, his threat on the counter, that'll be a worry. He's caused us a few problems before. So yeah, I, I suppose those kind of situations would be my biggest concern. Yeah, Callum Wilson missed the return to Bournemouth with a, with a hamstring injury. He hasn't trained since, but he is due to take training today, which is Friday, with the view of being in contention for tomorrow. Um, of course, got Alexander Izak, who made his uh, he started against Liverpool in that defeat uh, that Newcastle suffered, the only defeat they've suffered in the Premier League. Scored one, had another one ruled offside, narrowly offside. I think it was a shadow that was offside, some Newcastle fans would argue. But, you know, he's... Um, looking to get a run of games. So it's going to be interesting to see which one of those start for Newcastle. But you mentioned there kind of, uh, you know, the vulnerability of Liverpool, perhaps if a team hits them on the counter. And what's been interesting from a Newcastle point of view recently is teams have started to kind of sit in and, and make Newcastle play and they've not necessarily been at the very best doing that. So it will be interesting to see if um, if Liverpool take the game to Newcastle, Newcastle can hit them on the counter because with the speed of Almiron, if uh, St. Maximum gets the nod, you know, there's a lot of speed and in, in, in early on in the season, teams couldn't handle that. The secret seems to be out the bag. So it's going to certainly be interesting to see um, how Liverpool approach this one. Um, on uh, Monday against Everton, you had uh, Liverpool had three players, three big players returning to the fold. Uh, you had Firmino, Van Dijk and Jota. Just how crucial are their return to the squad uh, going to be this Saturday? And I guess, in the race for the top four? Yeah, massive. Um, I think Jota might not be the one you'd necessarily pick out of that, but I think he could be the most significant. You, you know, it's it's hard to overlook Van Dijk, but in terms of the depth that the club has, it's very strong at centre-back. You know, all of the centre-backs have been made to look poor at times this season for Liverpool, but I think most fans watching us would say that's because, well, at least partly because of the, the midfield failings in front of them. They've been exposed to one versus one situations far too often. So with Van Dijk out, I mean, Gomez has had his shaky moments. Canate, of course, is out injured at the moment as well. But when he did step up, he, he looked okay, but despite having those moments as well. So, yeah, I, I always feel like Liverpool can sort of cope with him without him, I should say, for, for a shortish period of time. It'll be great to have him back. But, but I think Jota has been one of the bigger misses, um, particularly given that that's coincided with the absence of Diaz. I mean, those that's two thirds of the sort of Liverpool front line that's been sort of earmarked as as the new front three, if you will, and and they just haven't been fit for for the vast majority of the campaign. Um, and equally, the midfields, you know, they haven't just fallen off a cliff overnight. So you have to look at the forward line as well. Maybe their pressing has dropped off, and that's not helping them out. Jota is potentially the best presser in this Liverpool squad now. You know, Firmino, of course, had that 
had that mantle for a long time and he's still very good at that side of the game but maybe you know he's 31 now the, the, the physicality a bit less there but him coming back also gives that experience and that sort of understanding of how Liverpool's pressing from the front is supposed to work so yeah I think their presence will just make everything function a little bit more like the Liverpool we've been used to watching. Could you foresee any of them coming into the starting eleven on Saturday? Do you see Jurgen Klopp making any any major changes to the starting eleven? Um, it seemed positive on, on Van Dijk. Um, he was, is it, I think, he's still in his press conference now, or at least it's it might have just finished. But um, fr- from what I saw of that, it seemed as though Van Dijk might come straight back in. He's definitely the one you'd pick out if he's ready to start. He will start. That's been the case ever since we we signed him. Really, he's a he was a transformational player and is still one of the most important in the team. So, yeah, I could see him coming in. It'll be interesting to see who dropped out for that. You know, it was it was Gomez and Matip last time. They did all right um, against Everton. Matip had a bit of a shaky moment early on, which he got away with. So, yeah, I think probably I'd expect it to be Van Dijk and Gomez. Um, they were the, the main partnership in the title-winning season, which, which gets forgotten a lot. Gomez has obviously had major injury trouble since then, but they do have a strong understanding. And if if they can get a run of games going, then, then maybe that'll be a positive in the top four race. But from a Newcastle perspective, you'd be looking at it thinking, you know, they haven't played together in a little while. Van Dijk's been out. Is there going to be some rust there? So that'll be an interesting one to watch. Could go either way. Um, I think with the other two, you're probably looking at Klopp just finally having some options to change the game from the bench. That's been another problem this season because of the injuries that's been sorely lacking. Um, you know, occasionally it's worked in our favour. You look at the last Newcastle game where, where Fabio Carvalho was the one to, to come on and win it. He's he's barely been involved recently with, with players starting to come back. So, and, and I mean, Stefan Bicetic wouldn't have been anywhere near the team without injuries. He's been one of our best players recently, as I mentioned. So, you know, there has been positives to it, but there, there's no doubt that having these kind of senior elite players, particularly attackers back on the bench to give Klopp some options is is massive. And I think that's almost bigger than the impact on the starting 11, really. So I'm just looking here at what Klopp had to say in his press conference. He said on Van Dijk that he was in training yesterday and he looked absolutely ready. And then on the squad depth, as you say there, James, he says, we had, we had some senior players not able to get in the squad for the first time in a long time. We have options now. Um, and then, of course, he's been talking about Newcastle United. You mentioned there the fixture uh, back in August. The only time Newcastle, as I said earlier in the show, have been defeated in the Premier League this season. Uh, it was quite a, a chaotic end to that game. Very late winner. Newcastle fans were feeling controversial circumstances. Uh, and there is, you know, the feeling amongst some that Newcastle are out for uh, revenge. Eddie Howe said this morning that he's, you know, that Newcastle don't owe Jurgen Klopp one, uh, but uh, the, it's certainly going to be a tasty atmosphere, I'd imagine, at St James's Park. Um, in terms of Liverpool's view on that game back in August, um, do you think they'll be expecting um, Newcastle looking to, to to get revenge, or do you think, you know, it, it, it was a win, it was a result, it, it hasn't really played uh, much in terms of the preparation going into the return fixture on Saturday? I don't imagine it, w- it will have had too much of, of an impact. I suppose from a positive side of things for Liverpool, maybe it gives that bit of confidence. Like you say, Newcastle haven't been defeated by, by anyone else. So, you know, despite you know what you're calling the controversial circumstances, maybe Liverpool will think, OK, we're we're the only team who can know for sure we, we can get a win here. 
Um, but yeah, I think, like you say, I think if it does make a difference, if it does have an impact, it will be in terms of the crowds. I mean, St. James's Park is great at, you know, any, at any time, but they'll be even more up for it. They'll be, they'll pay, they'll maybe see it. You'll maybe see it as, as that kind of revenge, even if Eddie Howe doesn't see it that way. And, you know, any decision that goes against Newcastle, you can already imagine what, what reception that'll get. That'll pile the pressure on. It'll be hostile. So, yeah, if if there's an impact, it'll be in the intangibles like that. But in terms of Liverpool's preparation, no, I don't think it'll really make a difference. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Um, asked about Eddie Howe, Klopp said Eddie has made Newcastle a proper threat for everyone. It is a really difficult uh, place to go. He also talked about Almiron, saying he always uh, liked Almiron and the way they are playing now suits him. And again, on how Klopp said Eddie's doing an absolutely exceptional job. The financial possibilities they will have in the future are exceptional, but their success is not because of that. They have built on the team. And then just finally, he was asked about the key differences between Newcastle and Liverpool. And he said the only difference between the way us and Newcastle have done business so far is where the money has come from. You have to do it step by step. And the whole money uh uh, point is an interesting one, James. Klopp kind of hit the headlines early on the season about his whole, some clubs have no ceiling. Uh, and then those clubs you, you mentioned, Newcastle were one of them, watched on as Liverpool went and spent quite a bit of money on the likes of Gakpo and, and have spent previous, you know, big amounts of money as well. Um, he seems to have doubled down slightly in his comments. I'm sure you might come back and argue um, on that. But um, is it, it, do you think Liverpool are slightly rattled by the potential of Newcastle? Or is Jurgen Klopp, you know, when he says these sort of things, you know, you might not necessarily believe them. He's just trying to maybe deflect from whether they've had a bad result or whether things haven't gone their way. It's just clever management. I mean, maybe there's an aspect of that. I don't think players get too caught up in, in the sort of financial side of the game to, to, to a large extent. But I suppose it does foster that kind of them against us mentality. You've, you've seen it from the other side of the coin with Manchester City and, you know, all of the, the allegations there. Pep Guardiola comes out swinging and, and tries to have this kind of establishment versus us mentality. And I suppose you can flip that on its head and have the kind of um, state back clubs versus everyone else mentality. And, you know, may, maybe that does get players up a little bit. So maybe there's an element of, of smart management, but I do think fundamentally Klopp believes what he's saying. And, and you know, I, I'm inclined to agree with him in a lot of ways as well. Um, I, I would echo what you said about Eddie Howe. I think he's done an exceptional job and, you know, a lot of clubs have got money and, and not got to these levels, certainly not got to these levels this quickly. Manchester City weren't this competitive anywhere near as soon after, after their injection of, of funds. Um, so, yeah, there's still an impressive side to the story, but you know, there's no getting away from the fact that that already a large amount of money has been spent, even though it's been spent very wisely. And you you mentioned Liverpool spending 
for, well, for one thing, I, I would flag net spend, which is not that high at all. And secondly, I would flag the fact that Liverpool has years and years worth of Champions League revenues, which, you know, is, um, which is, which enables you to spend. Um, it's, um, it's nowhere near FFP limits. I, I know Newcastle have, have had a bit of trouble with that in January by the sounds of things in sort of terms of limiting what else they could do. I think Eddie Howe seemed to suggest they were mindful of being close to thresholds from what I read, but, um, and Liverpool are nowhere near nowhere near those concerns because it, it's still not spending anywhere near as much as it makes, which is not necessarily something to boast about. It's it's wound up a lot of Liverpool fans, but but no, I don't I don't think there's any way that the, the finger could be pointed back at us in terms of in terms of lavish spending. I, I think if anything, Liverpool has been guilty of not investing enough in the squad, which is why we are where we are this season. An interesting point. I'd be interested to see what. Uh you guys watching live think about that uh, do drop your comments uh, to us and i'll put them to james and um, just in terms of of newcastle kind of upsetting the established order at the top of the premier league um you mentioned right at the start it has come uh, much quicker than i think anyone anticipated probably Eddie Howe and the owners included in that um but newcastle are looking like the real deal um, just how, I mean, again, are Liverpool, I mean, they must be concerned because of the way the league table is now. Um, just how rattled do you think they are with the fact that Newcastle look like they are hopefully here to stay? I don't know if I'd use the word rattled. I don't think FSG, uh, the Liverpool owners, will, will like it. You know, um, they have always been very big on the kind of spend your revenue sort of model i'm not saying newcastle have had any have had any sort of breaches of ffp clearly they haven't but um you know fsg have always been the big champions of, of financial fair play that's that's been cited as one of the reasons maybe that, that they were looking at sort of either getting out entirely or you know letting another partner come on board because of just the it's just getting harder and harder to compete that that's not a criticism of newcastle certainly not of newcastle fans that they had no no say over who took over the club, and obviously with, with Mike Ashley beforehand, any takeover would have been would have been more or less welcome. So, I would never criticise Newcastle supporters. I don't think, but you know, on, on the on the other hand, I, yeah, it's it's obviously going to wind up clubs who 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 are run like Liverpool are run. Um, I think it was interesting, sort of on the pitch, in terms of what you were saying earlier about teams kind of figuring you out, figuring out the formula, maybe sitting sitting a bit deeper, and, and that does. That does echo sort of what happened at Liverpool when Klopp first started turning around our fortunes. So I thought that was very interesting. That's a kind of welcome to the big leagues moment, I think, for Newcastle. You're going to have to get used to that because that's, I think that's really the second stage in the sort of emergence of any, of any or re-emergence, I should say, of any big club. Um, you know, you have the initial joy of this kind of, this attacking football where teams don't expect you to be as good as you are. And, you know, transitions can be massive. There's space in behind to attack, and it looks like you're unbeatable. Liverpool got to a Champions League final uh, on the back of that fairly early in Klopp's reign, um, and then then teams wise up and and they they sit deep, and that that causes a whole new raft of problems. And I think Liverpool are still, to some extent, stuck in that problem. It's it's such a tricky one to work out. How do you maintain your identity as a manager? That is, your tactical identity when teams are setting up completely different against you um it'll be interesting to see how eddie howe copes with that it'll be interesting to see what newcastle do in the transfer market to, to deal with that liverpool have done things like buying tiago as, as more of a controlling presence someone who can find those gaps break down stubborn defenses you know and that sort of 50 50 whether that's worked when he's fit it, it it does work to some extent but obviously he's had 
a raft of, of, of issues there. So, yeah, it's. Um, I think the fact that Newcastle has already run into those problems is proof of how quickly they've sort of jumped into a genuine competitor status for the likes of Liverpool. And obviously none of the big, the established big clubs are going to enjoy having another competitor. But I think there's an acceptance as well. You know, there's there's nothing to be done about it. It is it is what it is, if you like. And and I don't think it'll affect how the game plays out other than it'll make the, the importance of a win even greater. Yeah, just on the ownership there of Liverpool, has what's been going on there, as you say, you know, maybe they were looking to get out, sell or sell a portion of, of their ownership. Is that added as a distraction to to what's been going on under the pitch, do you think? It's hard to say. I mean, I think the scale of, of the drop-off this season means that you can basically chuck in anything you like as a factor because there's no one cause that could have made things go this badly wrong this quickly. So, yeah, I suppose you could go as far as to say it hasn't helped. I don't think Klopp will have particularly enjoyed the the disruption. He was known to have a close working relationship with Mike Gordon, who stepped away from from day-to-day duties to sort of try and find a buyer, essentially. So I think that will have caused some unnecessary disruption. It's another one where I don't know how much that transmits to the players. I don't think too many of them will, will concern themselves with it, but... Yeah, I, th- I think you can mention it as, as one of the many things that, that hasn't helped. And um, just in terms of Jurgen Klopp, and we've got a few people in the comments here talking about his press conferences of late, and he seems to be, um, again, looking from the outside in, a little bit stressed, um, you know, some of the comments to, 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 to journalists and just some of the, the things he's been saying. Is he under pressure? I'm not necessarily talking maybe from... Liverpool's owners, but I guess from himself because he sets such high standards and for Liverpool to be so far off the Premier League title, let alone the top four, I guess the standards he's set and when they're not meeting them standards, he is going to be putting himself under immense pressure to to, to improve. Yeah, definitely. Of course he is. Um, I think Liverpool fans, 99% of them would want the clock to stay 100%. So it's. Um, I think that the only concern has been would he walk? We, we saw it with Borussia Dortmund where he didn't think he was the, the right man to take them forward anymore. So I don't think anyone's worried about a sacking. The club won't sack him and rightly so. And, and to be honest, I don't think he'll walk away either from what he said in press conferences. I, I see what you mean. He has seemed stressed and I think you've put your finger on why he demands the best of himself and of his team and he's not been getting it at least until the last game. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's a tough time for him as a manager, but he, he seems to think that he'll be backed in the summer. Uh, obviously, there's talk of Jude Bellingham. Um, Liverpool, I mean, frankly, Liverpool would need more than that because he can't fix everything on his own. But, you know, it does seem as though everyone is on the same page in terms of where the rebuild needs to go. Klopp seems enthused by it, even if he's unhappy with the current situation. So, yeah, provided FSG sort of delivers on what appears to have been promised or hinted at for the summer, then I think Klopp will be going nowhere and I think he'll be the right man to, to lead the rebuild. I mean, we saw after Dortmund, of course, he came pretty much immediately to Liverpool and, and then turned the team around almost overnight. So it, it's not that he's become a bad manager. He's still an elite manager. It's just he doesn't necessarily have the, the tools at his disposal that he needs to, to win right now. So it's the squad that needs to change, not the manager. And I guess bigger picture, you know, to be able to rebuild Liverpool the top four is absolutely crucial for that because you want to be able to offer Champions League football. And 
it goes to reaffirm just how big of a game this is for both sides because if Liverpool don't qualify for the Champions League, Newcastle do, and that most certainly will will have an impact going into the transfer window in, in the summer where you know Newcastle can say, well, we have top four football to offer you and Liverpool, Liverpool can't. Yeah, you're right. That that's all that is an element where sort of it definitely has an impact on the players. They'll obviously want to be playing in the Champions League. It's the it's the top competition uh, and it's a massive lure to be able to offer it. I mean, I suppose you could you could look at Liverpool, you know, three finals in the last five seasons. If they're out of it for one year, they can say, Okay, well look, we have this track record, we'll be back in it. And and you'd like to think any any ambitious player, any sort of rational player would sort of see that side of things and hopefully not be put off a move but it makes it it makes it harder 100 percent. and of course what we've touched upon with with uh the, the models of the two clubs as well that they are inescapably very different and so a lack of champions league revenues would massively change i think fsg's perspective on the summer spending um that would rob liverpool fans massively up the wrong way because you know there, there wasn't enough there wasn't enough investment. I mean, you mentioned Gakpo, but there wasn't enough investment in January despite that. And the investment was arguably in the wrong place. They left the midfield alone. Going back to the summer again, no new midfielders. We haven't signed a new midfielder since Thiago. And, you know, he was 20, 28, 29 when he came in. So if we don't get top four, it's because the spending has been either not enough or in the wrong areas. And so if that's then suddenly turned around as the reason why we can't go and sign our biggest targets in this summer, which was sort of sold to all the Liverpool fans as the kind of rebuilding period, then that will be extremely frustrating. But, it, you know, it, it's the reality, I think, that if Liverpool do miss out on top four, there's going to be an impact on the bottom line and and that will change transfer business. It's interesting because it seems just from what you've said there that the two clubs maybe will be targeting the same positions in the summer. Newcastle need a midfielder. They needed one in January. Uh, they didn't get one. It's been kind of reaffirmed with Bruno being suspended and they've only got uh, Sean Longstaff and, and Joe Linton now because Joe Willick is out injured. He raced to be fit for the cup final, but certainly out of this uh, game against Liverpool. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the summer because it looks like they potentially will go for similar positions. Um, penultimate question then, James. You mentioned Liverpool fans there. How are they viewing this game on Saturday? Because I think from a Newcastle point of view, this time last season, you go in, you think, well, a point would be a bonus here, you know. But there's no, I don't think there's any fear from Newcastle fans going into this game on on Saturday, which is a, a remarkable thing to say, given how early Newcastle are in the project and how you know really short space of time and how it's been. Yeah, I know it's been over a year, but in terms of you know a timeline, it's quite remarkable to be able to say that. Liverpool fans, do you think they're expecting to 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 win tomorrow? Are they expecting three points? How do you think they're weighing up the game? I think it would be it would be rash to to expect to win. You know, we're ultimately talking about a team that, that's lost once all season, even if it was Liverpool who inflicted that defeat. Um, and Liverpool are in pretty abject form, Everton game aside. But that Everton game is massive. It it has renewed a level of confidence. Without that, there would be no kind of optimism going into this fixture. I don't think. Now, I would assess the mood as kind of a cautious optimism both in terms of the result and the way we played. But, I mean, it's like we were discussing earlier, that game could easily have gone very differently. It's, it's all so fragile at the minute. Um, I'd also say a lot of the games we've lost this season could have gone very differently. The, the fine margins that went in our favour in that game have, have gone against us before. 
and injuries are starting to turn in our favour as well. So it does for the first, well, I was going to say for the first time, it feels like maybe it's a, it's a new start. We have felt like that before and it hasn't materialised. But I'd say there's more factors than there have been before to kind of legitimately point towards some optimism. But I, that doesn't mean we're going into the game expecting to win. It's, you know, you have to look at the realities of the table. It's it's a top four team against a team in ninth. So a win would be a massive, massive result. And hopefully the players are expecting to win. Hopefully they're still expecting to win every game. That That's one of the things that sort of good arrogance that made Liverpool so good over the years. I hope that's not gone. But um, yeah, as supporters, there's hope, but there's not necessarily expectation. Darren says, I hope we can grab three points tomorrow. He felt cheated in the last game with the Isaac Rowe ruled out, which he feels was clearly onside. And he also feels clock time added on for Liverpool to win it. Um, we, we we spoke earlier in the show about potential changes to the side, and there's been questions both at Newcastle and, and Liverpool with two big games coming up in the days after this game uh, at St James Park on Saturday. Liverpool face Real Madrid, don't in the Champions League. Newcastle, of course, face Manchester United in the Carabao Cup final. You know, I think it's uh, from Newcastle's point of view, questions of a weakened side not going to happen. I'm assuming it's the same for Liverpool. The focus is very much on Newcastle and not on on Madrid uh, later in the week. Yeah, I think it has to be. Um, it's it's maybe a tiny bit harder for Liverpool in the sense that obviously if you do somehow manage to win the Champions League, then you qualify for the Champions League. So that is another legitimate route in. It's a kind of backup, if you like, if we do miss the top four. Um, but I don't think anyone's really going to be viewing it that way because, you know, winning the Champions League is is a mass, it's, you know, the hardest achievement in club football, even when you're playing some of your best football, some of the best club sides ever haven't won it. So yeah, I don't think that's that's going to be anyone's plan at the club. The, the, the sort of the route back into the the Champions League for next season and getting those all important Champions League revenues will be trying to improve in the league, trying to nick that fourth spot. You know, we saw a couple of seasons ago when when Liverpool were hit by injuries, they looked very much out of the top four race and then put together a run at the end of the season, ultimately finished third. So, I think that'll be the the hope is that they can do that again, and and that means taking every league game massively seriously you know it has to go one game at a time you can't be looking at Real Madrid just yet really um the fact that it's Saturday um and then and then Wednesday I think means as well you know if Klopp wanted to basically field the same team in both he he could do that so yeah I don't think it'll have too much of an impact there we have it then I'm just going to quickly answer this question from from Darren, before I get your score prediction James uh will we see answer Max when he's at and Gordon start against Liverpool I think that would be the pick of, of many uh, players, uh, many fans, sorry. Um, I think we'll definitely see St. Maxman and Isaac starting. Um, Gordon, I don't know, but you would think he would probably come in for Joe Willick um, and make his, 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 his full debut for Newcastle. It looks like a very exciting player signed from the blue side of Merseyside in January. Um, and just on that, I mean, is there any player, James, from a Newcastle point of view that you're looking forward to seeing that you think Liverpool will be, uh, you know, Jurgen Klopp's flagged it up as, as maybe the player to stop on Saturday? Um, it's, a, it's a tricky one. I mean, you mentioned how Isaac had some joy last time and I, I think that will be in the minds of Klopp and of his backroom team. He, he was a, a menace. So if, if he's involved, if he starts, then, um, then he'll be one to watch out for. 
uh, like we were highlighting earlier with the, with the counterattacks, I suppose he, he's very much the kind of player who can carry that threat. So, yeah, I think that'll be that'll be on the minds uh, on the minds um, of Liverpool. It's uh, yeah, you know, in if he'd been if he'd been playing, then then Bruno would have been one that that we'd flag up. He, he's also one that Liverpool would flag up about the the mismanagement of the the Liverpool midfield in recent years. Because I mean, quite why we didn't throw everything at signing him is a mystery. He's he's been you know, a revelation at Newcastle. He just seems to do everything exceptionally well, and and yeah, so there'll, there'll be there'll be a relief almost that, that he's not he's not going to be involved. I think, which is, is credit to what a good signing that was and how well he's done. But in, in, yeah, in terms of the ones involved, I, I would be looking at those pacey players. You know, Sam Maximin if he plays as well. And I mean, he's he's played less of a part in this in this season for Newcastle than I thought he would. He looked like you know the most exciting player in the squad. You know, a, a year year and a half ago and he's been almost peripheral really in, in this campaign which has been surprising but he's still very much the kind of player who, who could hurt us yeah certainly I mean he everyone references that game against Manchester City earlier in the season where he left Kyle Walker for dead in, in, in most uh, one-on-one situations um it's a big game for him you know I think every game when he starts is a big game because Bruno will be back and available after this Liverpool game and that probably means St Maximum drops out and Joe Linton would go on to the left and play as him and Bruno back in the centre. So, massive game for him um, against Liverpool to, to maybe even secure his spot in the cup final team, but I think that's unlikely. But under the lights at St James's Park, he always seems to do well um, against the, the the big teams and when the, the cameras are there. So, fingers crossed he can put in a performance. Um, just before I get your score prediction then, James, just going to point our viewers and listeners in the direction of our Wembley Supplements on sale now uh, at your news agents, your garages, and you can order also order it online. I'll pop the link into the comments. It can be delivered worldwide. So whether you're in Australia, America, you can uh, come along on the journey uh, to Wembley with us. Loads of great interviews uh, in their analysis and opinion. Three quid plus postage and packaging. I'll pop the link into the comments for you to get your uh, copy. And now on to your score prediction then, James. How is it going to go? I think it'll be tight. You know, it's unless the form book goes completely out of the window, you'd expect a relatively low scoring affair. Um, it's it's so hard because I do think whoever scores first is going to be massive. But I think I'll, I'll sit somewhat on the fence and say one all. I, I think maybe Liverpool does get that first goal, um, but can't add to the lead, and then then Newcastle manage to to nick one back. But yeah, I, I think I could definitely see the points being shared. Yeah, I think 1-1 at the moment seems to be a favourite Newcastle United scoreline. You five out of the six uh, games of draw and a few 1-1 draws and that. So it seems to be a popular one with Newcastle at the moment. But hopefully from a Newcastle point of view, they can get back to winning ways. I said on yesterday's podcast, it would be 2-0 to Newcastle. And I'm going to stick with that. I'm going to be optimistic, um, perhaps not realistic, but I'm going to stick with a 2-0 win to Newcastle United. Um, thank you very much for popping on to the podcast, James. It's been a pleasure to talk to you uh, and everyone watching and listening. Hit that subscribe button, whether it's on the podcast or on YouTube, and head over to chroniclelive.co.uk for all the latest Newcastle United news, including the live blog bringing you coverage of Newcastle versus Liverpool on Saturday from St James's Park.